Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Just before we get into the podcast, just want to do a quick shout out to all the Patreon subscribers. You guys are absolutely phenomenal. Once again, I know I always say it, but it really is what's keeping this show going. So much appreciated. Today, we're going to talk BVI. We're going to talk charters. We're going to talk all these cool little islands and You know, I was down there for quite a long time. I didn't get to see every last little bit of it, but I got to see quite a bit. And uh, so I'm going to give some of my top tips and places to go and things to see while you're down there. But uh, before we begin, as I always say, if you want to support the show, head over to Patreon. The link will be in the description. It's very much appreciated and it keeps this podcast ad free for the time being. Other than that, uh, if you want to contact the show, Please uh, head over to sailingintooblivion.com, click on the podcast link, and uh, you can directly email me from there. So, without further ado, here we go into the BVI. Good morning on this fine, beautiful Sunday up here in Rockland, Maine. Today we're going to be talking about the British Virgin Islands and chartering. I got a, a great email question from a listener on the podcast who wanted to get into some of the uh, ins and outs. He's actually headed down there with a big group of people, and um, yeah, they're going to be chartering. Oh, let's see. What are they using? Okay, 48-foot Benetel. This is uh, my good friend. Well, I shouldn't say good friend. My acquaintance through the podcast, Tim, and uh, he's headed down there think this winter and it should be pretty cool so we're going to get into a bunch of that but first I want to take a look at the Golden Globe race and see how those guys and gals are doing I like doing this update because it's I don't know it's cool (laughs) I like watching uh watching these guys out there struggling trying to get past Cape Finisterre and it looks like the weather is still giving them these uh straight southerly winds and they're headed south and so they're sort of beating into it and it looks like about six or seven of them have rounded cape finisterre so they're in the atlantic proper and let's see we got a few stragglers about five or six of them are still just about getting there and then there are two competitors that had to turn back, uh, a guy by the name of Damien, he turned back, but he has already restarted. I believe that's part of the rules, that if you uh, restart, you can head back uh, and start over again without any issue. And then Edward something or other from Canada, he is back in port now as well. And we'll have to just see what sort of happens with that, if he starts again or if he stops and then there's one guy who's kind of on an oddball course. Looks like he might be heading in for land. I'm not too sure. Um, but, yeah, it's looking pretty good. Holy cow. Oh, is this last year's? I don't know. It's interesting. Oh, no, that's just zooming it in. Okay. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're going. It looks like Pat Lawless is in... Uh, Pretty good standing at this point. 
He's the Irish uh, skipper and guy that I've sort of chatted back and forth with, which is always pretty cool. And yeah, he's in the in the top three for sure. So the American guys, um, Guy and then Elliot. Elliot's making his move. It looks like to get a little further offshore, which isn't a bad idea. Um, because the, the weather, which again, none of these competitors actually know what the heck the weather is doing, unless I'm assuming they're they're able to talk to other ships and stuff like that. Which, if they're off the you know coast of Portugal, they're definitely able to talk to more ships because there's a ton, absolute ton of shipping going on out there. But yeah, they pretty much have southerlies. Not so strong, not so weak. Uh, so they've probably got some ugly beating into the wind and beating into the seas sort of thing. And they're going to get blasted a little bit. But if any of those competitors can get far enough offshore to get to the other side of this uh, low pressure system that they're they're in, they'll be in, in northerly winds. And um, those are slowly going to creep in in the next couple of days. And then... Yeah, they're going to be in sort of light, light northerlies for by almost towards the end of the week, Thursday-ish, and then it'll be sort of spinnakers and all that sort of stuff and really cranking that out, which is pretty cool. And um, and then, let's see, then it looks like they get a little bit of a pipe up. Right around uh, Friday is this system sort of, uh, but that'll be for the ones that are still. So the guys that turned around actually might have a pretty decent uh, little boost. While the others are sort of dealing with light winds, they're going to get this nice heavy, heavy wind coming right off of Cape Finisterre, which might rocket them sort of back into it. Now, again, this race is so long. I mean, we're talking the next six months, so... Little tiny bits here and there aren't aren't too big a deal because a lot of it it's just depends on the weather system you encounter. But they're all going to be becalmed by the beginning of next week, it looks like. And so that will be kind of interesting to see how, how the racers handle that. And uh, I don't know, get into some of that. Wow, it's so crazy looking at that weather map. Makes me want to get out there, and boy, there's still those those little systems. They're calling there should be two pretty ugly systems mid Atlantic by the end of next week. And we are in that hurricane season right now. I think the peak of it is the 14th, so in just a couple of days. But that's just the average peak. You never really know, and we'll have to see where it goes from there. But so that's the Golden Globe uh, update, and uh, yeah. Rooting for them to be safe and have good sailing and enjoy themselves, but it will, I hate to say it, it will be pretty interesting to watch the dramas unfold as um, the solitude starts to kick in. You know, it, usually within the first month, I'll bet you they're going to have one or two that um, sort of don't really enjoy being alone for that long. And uh, the thoughts. Really, the thoughts of being out at sea and trying to go around the world, like thinking in that future context of how much longer am I out here? Um, that that drilled my brain pretty hard when I was on my uh, nonstop, and it really 
it took a lot of mental focus and mental uh, exercise, so to speak, to sort of, you know, get put those thoughts of Cape Horn and all that sort of stuff far away and keep them, you know, bundled up so that you didn't sit there and dwell on what was ahead of you. You sort of just worked your way through the day, got through it, and then went on to the next day. So <clears throat> hopefully none of them will go absolutely crazy or anything, but it will be interesting to watch sort of that drama kind of unfold. And typically I think it happens in between the start and the equator where you're going through the doldrums. There's a lot of highs and lows and all that sort of stuff. So we'll be kind of cool. We'll be watching and I'll keep, uh, keep doing the updates. So the subject for today, like I said in the beginning, is the BVI. Touted as one of the absolute greatest places to charter on the planet, and I do agree, especially if you're new to chartering, the BVI gives a sailor, uh, I don't want to say it gives you confidence, but it gives you an arena to mess around in a boat that is very, very safe. It's very protected, uh, but it's also, it has all the quintessential things of islands and the trade winds, and you can get some rough, rough weather sailing in, um, so to speak. You even can do a slight little ocean crossing, so to speak, when you head up to Anagata. There's great little spots Beaches, bars, little towns, villages, all this sort of stuff all along the way and all within, you know, just a few hours sail of each other. They've also, the BVI has made, has built sort of its tourist economy around the charter industry and not around the cruise ship industry, which a lot of uh, places have. And what that does is it cuts down on just the insane flood of humans that are just down there uh buying t-shirts and and drinking alcohol and and i don't know uh, the hordes of people you know you're you're obviously going to find them because tortola does have a pretty sizable cruise ship dock but they typically are sort of relegated to that island and that's the main island there and so i don't know it, it's pretty easy to escape now on the other end there's a plethora of sailing boats out there mostly are, are going to be charter and then you've got privately owned boats people go in and they'll sail the bvi for a month and then they'll move on to the next place and uh, which i think is kind of cool because it it does allow for a nice community of sailors um to sort of develop there and i don't know i've always found that um you get a couple of sailors moored up together they meet in the bar and then all of a sudden they're having uh dinner together on their boat and sort of sharing stories i don't know it's it's a really really collective group uh of people and part of the nice thing as well is that you're you're never too far away from somebody who might be able to help you out uh in a mooring field or with an issue or an anchor dragging or anything like that i've seen a million examples especially in the north sound where i was of just boaters helping other boaters making sure everybody's safe and having a good time and uh, getting out of trouble that's uh probably one of the biggest ones is just getting out of trouble um but my experience down there so i i went and worked on a private boat 
It's like a 60-footer for we sailed down in February, January or February of 2007 and then sailed back in late April. So we spent the whole time down there. We did go back and forth in between the USVI and the BVI, but spent primarily all of our time in the in the British Virgin Islands cruising around there. And that was pretty fun. Got to see the place, get to know some of the anchorages and all that. This was pretty long ago now. I mean, shoot, I guess that's seven years ago, uh, if I do my math. No, five years ago? No. <laughs> I am an idiot. Uh, it's 15 years ago. Oh, my back. <laughs> uh, so it was a while ago, and a lot has changed since then for sure. But uh, while I was there in the BVI, I had an email answered that I had written about a year or so prior looking for employment at the Bitter End Yacht Club. And uh, funny enough, you know, worlds, uh, the dinks that happen are pretty crazy. And I happened to just be in the North Sound when I received that email and was able to just take the ferry over and uh, pretty much talk to the people and got the job. So all I had to do was finish up the current job that I was in, sailing back to the States, and then fly back down there once all the paperwork went through. And then I proceeded to spend five years down there, working as the activities uh, director in charge of like the sailing school and all the water sports stuff. So I got to know a lot about the area, especially in the North Sound, but also all around Tortola and uh, the rest of the islands as well. Now, Took off after five years to go hike the Appalachian Trail, but then I ended up returning to the bitter end uh, for another three years to buy this wonderful ship that I uh, now sit on, actually. So all said and told, I spent about eight to nine years down there and uh, made some of the best friendships and, and had some of the best times I think I will probably ever have in my life as far as um, just raw experiencing life and and you know I spent the majority of my 30s down there and what a time to do it really doesn't get much better <laughs> I don't know if my liver could handle being down there in my 40s uh that might be a little tough but that can be tapered down that's a personal choice but in any event so that's sort of my experience but when we get down to actual chartering if it's whether it's your first time or your 10th time chartering in the BVI, there are some things that pretty much are always going to be the same. And essentially, you're going to be chartering out of Tortola. So the typical scene is that you fly in there. Um, if you're flying from the States, a lot of times you're going to do the hop to Puerto Rico, and then you're going to do a little like 30-minute flight right to Tortola, check in through customs, which is pretty fast and easy. It's a small airport. And then, depending on which company you go to, you are going to head into the heart of Road Town, and, uh, which is the capital, check in with your company. And I, in my experience, because I was able to do this with my parents one time, um, I was on Mighty Sparrow, so it was sort of a tandem thing. But essentially, you got in in the afternoon and spent the vast majority of that day just provisioning and uh, you actually spent the first night on the dock there in Roadtown, and we were chartering with Horizon Yacht Charters out of Nanny Key, which is a great company. That's the one I always recommend for people, but uh, totally unsponsored. I just got buddies that work there. 
truth be told. And uh, yeah, so you pretty much have a nice dinner there. Nanny Key is really nice because they, there's a couple of restaurants and bars right there. It's also, it's just a, you know, five minute taxi ride to, to get into the heart of road town and you can hit up any of the restaurants there you want. But essentially the big thing is you get in there, you have one rum drink or whatever, and then you get to work. You want to get all of the provisioning done as quickly as possible. Uh, You are going to have other provisioning stops, like places you can, you can re-up on some of the supplies that you have you don't have to supply for like seven eight days right there on the first day so don't feel pressured into that it's just that Roadtown offers a lot more big grocery stores and stuff like that makes it just a little bit easier but Virgin Gordo which is going to be sort of our halfway point uh, for the majority of of charter sort of routes offers some more grocery stores as well and they're getting bigger and uh, and better so basically you get your provisioning done and then you try and enjoy a good night it's i don't think it's wise to unless you were flying in somehow really early in the morning and you arranged with the charter company to have your little safety brief because they're going to take you through for an hour or two at least they're going to take the captain through to make sure he knows all the systems on the boat, he or she. And um, I know you can, if you really, if you're really amped up about it, you probably can go and have your crew go out and provision. You do the safety check, and then by, you know, if you can get out of there by three, four o'clock in the afternoon, you can head directly over to Norman Island and get there within about an hour. It's not very far. It's about five, six miles away. And it's typically a reach directly across the wind. So you can go pretty fast to get over there and you can get to, um, you can get over to some, some pretty nice little coves and harbors, uh, over there. And you can get, obviously if you're, if you're a party animal, you can get directly over to the Willie T, which is the very legendary floating bar uh and that one's uh, it's pretty cool but you gotta be you gotta be careful you know the first night on charter can get a little overexcited and then uh it can ruin your second day <laughs> on charter as well but there's also pirates there's a nice restaurant over there on norman island there's some hiking trails on norman island and the next day you can uh, swing by, you can just dinghy over to the Indians, uh, or you can sail over to them. The Indians are a very, very famous snorkeling spot, and there's also the caves. Really, there are there's, there's a ton of stuff that you could do at Norman Island, which is kind of why I recommend that you stay on the dock in Tortola the first night. That way you're not in a big rush. You get to know the boat. Everybody gets the feel of being on the boat. It does take a while to sort of, I don't know, move in. You're because essentially you are. You're moving into this this big hotel room, so to speak, and uh, you want to make sure that make sure that everybody's comfortable, everything's good. Double check it all, and then you head off. But I always always recommend Norman Island for the first the first night because I think it's it's just a cool place. You can sort of celebrate there, but there's also a ton to do. Um, so if you, if you say set sail on day number two and you head over to Norman Island, then you've got the whole day for snorkeling and all that sort of stuff. You pick up a mooring. They've got tons of mooring buoys over there. Usually you're going to be paying between like 30, somewhere around 30, 
40 bucks, depending on how the prices have gone up. The last time I was chartering or sailing, sorry, in the BVI was 2018 to 2019. And uh, I don't know. I can't imagine a lot's changed, but that's all post Maria and Irma. So that uh, I got to see some of the new, new ramped up restaurants and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, so Norman Island, pretty cool place. And then, you know, you spend your day there. You're on the mooring that night, and then uh, the next day you go ahead and blast off and start making your way upwind uh, in the direction of the sort of the island chain because everything, remember, all the winds are essentially going to be coming primarily from the east, and uh, the BVI is sort of laid out east to west. And so the USVI is going to be west of you, so downwind. And Virgin Gorda and all that are all upwind. And that's sort of the the name of the game is you're going to be beating up into the wind for the first couple of days. You get up to North Sound on Virgin Gorda. And then then it sort of depends on which way you want to go. But as you go from Norman, you've got Peter Island, which has a big resort on it. They have some pretty nice anchorages in there. um, So that can be kind of cool. But... It's really not not a, a huge destination for getting on to land or anything like that, unless you want to have a really fancy dinner or something like that. Um, Peter Island, the Peter Island Resort, I believe, does open its uh, doors to to boating guests and such. But typically, people will cruise up and they'll go past that up to either Cooper Island or Salt Island. Cooper Island has the Cooper Island Beach Club, which is pretty cool. Nice little restaurant, fun bar. They've got some great snorkeling. They have a pretty small mooring field. So trying to get up there and pick up a mooring can be a little tricky. And anchoring, you know, you can anchor outside of these mooring areas, um, but it is typically pretty darn deep. You know, there there are so many charter boats in the BVI that they really... um, they have to have as many moorings as possible. And a few years back, they instituted these these mooring buoys that you can you can book online, which blew my mind. I I couldn't believe they were doing this, but uh, you know, company moved in and and set up all these things, and now you you go online at I don't know what it is seven in the morning or something like that, and it's all first come first serve and kind of obnoxious to tell you the truth. You know, the BVI I always thought was a really great way to escape the modern technology. I mean, compared to the USVI, the BVI felt like you were stepping back 30 years in time. And I liked that. I think that was more unique and genuine. And uh, it was what you go down to the Caribbean for. And then all of a sudden you have to use a cell phone and a smartphone and all that sort of stuff to to book a mooring buoy. But I digress. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to diss any of it. It just sometimes... Sometimes you couldn't book these things and then you're sitting there and you're watching and and the people don't show up for the thing and you're like, ah, ah. <laughs> but in any event, Cooper Island's pretty fun. Salt Island's right next to it. And uh, I know we've anchored over there. It's a nice little protected harbor and it's a kind of an oddball little island because you've got uh, this big salt pond in there. And we went, I remember, and walked in there and just checked it out. And it was, it looked like snow. It was so crazy. We were there on almost a full moon. And so it was a really, really neat little spot to check out. And, you know, you make a little salt ball, throw it around, all that sort of stuff. So that was kind of cool. And the snorkeling around there wasn't too bad. The one really cool thing, though, is you've got uh, the wreck of the Rhone is right there. And 
One of the nice parts about the BVI's size being so small is if you're a diver, whether you're a diver or not, you can essentially, um, some of these companies will actually come to you and they will pick you up off your boat and then take you there. So if you were at Cooper Island, you could, you could stage and plan a day where you could essentially go down and uh, have the guys that like Sun Chaser Scuba, Ben and Kay, probably, I think, I mean, they're my favorite scuba outfit and I think they're the best, they're safest and uh, the nicest and just most knowledgeable. They're, they're absolutely fantastic. And yes, they run out of bitter end or they did back then, but I was there when they came in. I was there when they took over the company and uh, I've been out with them a million times and I've never felt more safe. So those guys absolutely rock, rock for scuba diving in the BVI. So you can book with them, and then I believe they'll come out and meet you still. That's what they used to do. Uh, or when you get up to North Sound, you can actually just go and join one of their trips. Either way, the wreck of the Rhone is epic. You get down there. There's all this stuff, um, and they guide you through it, and it really is phenomenal. And the story of of um, the wreck of the Rhone is pretty incredible. I won't get into it now because it gets pretty long-winded, but... It really is something else, so I don't want to ruin it for you, but if you get a chance to get out there, if the the weather's not too crazy rough or anything like that, that is definitely a place to go. Uh, and then, essentially, um, once, you've, once you've kind of made it that far, now all of a sudden you get into sort of the geologic oddity of, of the BVI, and that's uh, essentially fallen Jerusalem and the baths. And... It's from what I understood when I was there, it's basically these big leftover boulders that uh, all the different sediments and things like that eroded away. And it just left essentially a gigantic pile of boulders all right there on the beach. So it's a very unusual formation to have right there in tropical warm water. You can walk through these trails and these huge boulders are all just they seem precariously placed all over, but they're, you know, obviously rock solid, but you can swim in these pools and the lights coming in. It's, you know, everybody's got pictures from, from the baths being in there. It's such an amazing place, but most people don't take the time to go and check out fallen Jerusalem, which is sort of right next door to it. And there's a few mooring buoys over there. There's definitely places you can anchor. There's another shipwreck off of broken Jerusalem where you can actually see the radar tower coming out. And this was, uh, I believe a ship carrying cinder blocks. Um, I've went and snorkeled on that one and it's pretty cool. You can sort of see it. They used to be, there used to just be one line that was sort of tied off to it. Um, so it can be kind of tricky actually pulling up there, but it might be one of those things where you, you can go and anchor or more over at uh, fallen Jerusalem and then take your dinghy down. Again, these places can be a little bit rough. And if there's a North swell running, that's a game changer for the baths, for fallen Jerusalem, for a lot of stuff on the Western side of Virgin Gorda. And, uh, you do have to be cognizant, uh, cognizant of that. And, uh, and that's, you know, we'll get into some of the top tips, but when you're chartering down there, you're always going to be checking what the swell report is and what the weather report is. And that will make a difference as far as where you go and then, uh, sort of what you see, but get up to old Virgin Gorda and Virgin Gorda 
has Spanish Town, uh, which is also called the Valley. They have a nice little harbor marina in there that you can pull up to do a provisioning stop because by now you're typically on day like three or four. And so you can you can amp up on that. You can get fresh water for the boat, fuel if you needed, all those sort of things right there in Spanish Town. And um, uh, essentially, once you're there, then you're trying to figure out exactly what the next step is, because the you know, as far as the BVI's layout goes, again, you're going upwind, you get to Virgin Gorda, and then you're still going upwind until you get just about to the North Sound. And then at that point, you're you're getting into the two, three days left of the adventure, and uh, you have to sort of make a choice between where you want to go at that point. But Virgin Gorda, when it's nice and the wind's like due right out of the east, just normal trades, up from Spanish Town is Savannah Bay, which is one of the most beautiful beaches in the BVI. It's huge. It's almost always empty. It's very protected because there is a reef there. A north swell will still rock over that reef. So if it's if the north swell is running, you can't pretty much do any of that. You got to get up to North Sound. But Savannah Bay is really, really nice. It's very easy to anchor there. Um, when the Puerto Ricans come over with all their fishing boats, literally hundreds of them, they pack hundreds in this thing all rafted up together they make it a huge party that's around christmas in july time uh very very fun sight to see and a great place to go if you really want to have a loud dancing boat filled crazy party oh my gosh and they're so nice absolutely love them uh but you make your way up and before you actually get to north sound on virgin gorda you have this group of islands called the Dogs, and the Dogs are absolutely a must must see as far as snorkeling goes. There are some really cool spots. Um, there's an airplane that's up there, but it's mostly the fact that these are uninhabited little islands. And they're they're all part of the national park, so they all have moorings there that you can use during the daytime. They really don't want you anchoring up there um, because it's such a nice little protected place, and uh, I recommend you not anchor up there because it is really uh, there's when you hop in, there's not just blanket sand. There's there's fans and there's little spots of coral and there's sea life that you will definitely be uh, impeding upon if you're anchoring. So they've got enough mooring buoys up there for uh, for people to cruise in, and typically what everybody tries to do is get up there, you snorkel, a couple hours go by, and then you bounce out of there. You don't sit there all day, and you definitely don't do it at night, um, just because it is. It's a precious little gem, and there's about, there's Great Dog, George Dog, West Dog, Cockroach Island, uh, Seal Dog, a whole bunch of them all in this little area, and they're a great little pit stop, and they break up that sail from Spanish Town all the way up to, uh, to North Sound. The other one, that you can also do is uh, Mountain Point. And that's just before you get up to North Sound. It's this big point that jets out and the snorkeling there is really cool because it goes from like deep caves and crevasses and this drop off. And there's also a huge ship that they sunk uh, a few years back there. But then you can get further in and start seeing all the little coral heads and shallow water. So it's good for like kids and stuff like that. Again, as long as the North Swell is not pounding. 
Um, and they do have a few mooring buoys up there as well. Uh, but there are a couple spots further in that it is just a full sand bottom, which makes it pretty easy for anchoring. So pretty cool spot there. But essentially, you know, again, it's the spot you're going to stay for, you know, just a few hours, check it out, and then hoist sail and get your uh, get your old crew up there to North Sound. And North Sound obviously is going to be one of the biggest uh, spots that I've always recommended because mostly because it it's it's just it's super protected. It offers everything you could ever want as far as sailing and activities and safety. It's you know you you pull into this thing in this little channel, which can be a little dodgy when it's, uh, when the North swell and everything's really blowing hard, but you get in there, it's well-marked. You've got Leverick Bay, which you can get provisions. It has a restaurant. It's got a bar, a pool, all this stuff. Then you've got Bitter End, obviously, which is beautiful, perfectly located. They've got a huge mooring field, a dock. They've got boats that you can rent, Hobie Cats, I'm not sure if he's still there, but my buddy Nick should be uh, running the water sports and all that stuff. And um, super nice guy. And he's, uh, you know, they've got the Hobie Cats. They got other boats. I'm not sure what the fleet is now, but I know they're just building it up and up and up. And they've got the bar and the restaurant. But they've got this view that's just unbelievable and a huge beach. The biggest change, I think, for the bitter end since the hurricane is the fact that they have a gigantic beach now. And it just is a wonderful, wonderful spot. But right next door, you've got Sabre Rock, which is always fun to go over there for uh, cocktail hour and that stuff. Then you've got Prickly Pear, which is an uninhabited island. It has a little beach bar that sometimes opens, sometimes not. Tons of places that you can anchor and you can check out the salt ponds. There's flamingos in there. And then you've got all of Eustatia Sound for snorkeling, which you can access just with your dinghy really is just i could go on and on and on just about the north sound i mean it really is a phenomenal phenomenal place and you're you're surrounded by these these you know 500 foot hills all around you so you get this almost uh fjord like feeling when you're there and it's i i know a lot of people will when they charter they'll literally take off and they will sail as hard and as fast just to get up to the north sound and spend an extra day or two up there because it's so nice. And a lot of times, uh, people who have chartered more than once, you know, as you find your favorite little spots, that's typically when people people sort of hone in on the North Sound and, and they just sort of hunker down there and maybe do day trips and things like that. But you've again, you've got Sun Chaser Scuba up there. And so you can you can add in all these really, really fun activities. So you can stay a couple of days there and never get bored. And I will give you a shout out to this place, a uh, little secret spot, which I think everybody should really get up to at some point or another. And uh, if you're looking for a very fun, very safe, very nice local experience, bar hopping, um, you can go up to a place called The Bond and you go to Gun Creek. And essentially, there's one little, there. well, there's one or two bars uh, down in Gun Creek and uh super nice guys they you know it's one of those things where it's it's going to be all mostly locals and you get in there and as long as you sort of abide by the fact that you you know you say hello to people and um 
you don't just, you know, you know, you never walk into a place and say, give me a beer. You walk into a place and you say, hey, good evening. How's it going? Uh, my name is Jerome. I just sailed in. Like, how's it going with you? And you sort of get the dialogue going. Then all of a sudden, you might just have the best night of your life meeting all these locals. Uh, it really is. It's something special. I mean, it's probably my favorite place in the whole BVI. But you can start off in Gun Creek. And then you go up the hill to the legendary, the bond. It's where people bond together. And there's about four or five bars up there. And they're really great. You're not going to get uh, overcharged by any means. It's pretty uh, pretty normal. It, it would, it, it's not like your tiki bar on a beach where you're paying 12 bucks for a pina colada. No. Up there, you're paying a couple bucks for a cold beer and uh, or a stiff rum and coke, something like that. And you're going to meet the real people of the BVI. And it really is fantastic. Uh, I spent, I don't know how many nights up there, probably can't remember them all, but really fantastic, fantastic place uh, to go and check out. So I always recommend that one. Uh, but yeah, so again, North Sound, it just, it offers a ton. It's got just about anything and everything. And uh, if I was when I when I sail down there, I spend pretty much all my time there. And then every once in a while, like once once a week or two, I'll I'll head out and go venture somewhere else. But I like to hunker down in the old North Sound. Now from there, typically at this point, you're on day four or five, trying to figure out what your last days are. And you have to get the boat back by a certain time in Roadtown. And uh essentially you have a couple options. You can go due north from the North Sound, and uh, about 13 and a half miles out to sea is Anagata, which is an atoll, and um, basically a, ro- a raised coral outcropping, very flat. I think highest point's probably only like 10 or 12 feet above sea level. But you get out there, there's a big mooring field. Anagata is a big island, though. It's one of the, I think it's the third biggest in the chain. And it's sort of separated in a way from the rest of the BVI. And it has allowed Anagata to not develop the way the rest of the place has. In the last couple of decades, it has had little tiny beach resorts built on it. But because it really only holds a population of a couple of hundred people, it stayed very low key. And essentially, it has perfect beaches all around it. It's a place where you can find your own little slice of of paradise and hang out all day and not see anybody else. It really is pretty wonderful. And if the north swell is calm, the snorkeling on the north side of the island is absolutely really, really cool because it's the northern edge. You're basically swimming in the proper Atlantic Ocean when you're swimming off the north side of, of Anagata. And I don't know. A lot of lot of cool little restaurant areas. The Big Bamboo. Um, oh, geez, I'm blanking on some of these names. Anagata Beach Club, Cowrec Bay. If you're in the little village in Anagata, then you've got. Um, oh, geez, I can't even remember. But you've got a whole bunch of Neptune's Treasure. Oh, there's one. There's like the Scottish guy that runs this one bar. It's pretty cool. Oh, shoot. Well, in any event, there's a lot of really nice people up there, and they're they're most famously known for their lobsters uh, because the the reef is huge, and these are Caribbean lobsters, and they're huge, 
and they do lots and lots of big uh, lobster dinners and things like that. So if you're if you're inclined uh, to try that one, uh, I definitely recommend hitting it up because it is pretty good and it's it's an experience for sure. It's definitely pricey, but I think it's uh, it's worth it when it comes down to it, at least to uh, maybe share it with a group or something like that. And that way it sort of cuts the cost down. But it's more about the experience than anything. Uh, it's pretty overwhelming to see one of these lobsters come out cut in half just smacked with butter and you know on the caribbean lobsters you're pretty much just eating the tail because the tail is gigantic but it's a real fun experience and you can rent scooters up there i think you can rent scooters on tortola as well but anagata is nice because there's not much traffic and we used to go up there and have little scooter posses about four or five of us all ripping around going from beach to beach and uh kite surfing and stuff like that so that was definitely a lot of fun, and uh, I don't know, I highly, highly recommend getting up there to Anagata. But part of the cool thing is that because you can't see it, because it's so low-lying, you're essentially, you're essentially sailing off into the open ocean. And if it's a rough day, you definitely want to take that into consideration because it'll be a rough passage. Most of these boats are doing seven knots, so it's going to take you about two hours to get up there, if not more. And uh, it can be a little tricky when you get up in there, so you definitely want to be doing daytime uh, arrivals on all of this. I believe that's one of the rules with the charter companies is no night sailing, so it's really not even an option. But you get in there, and it's it's pretty well protected. Fun little spot, um, but it gives you that adventurous spirit of like, oh, we're just sailing off into the ocean. This is going to be... This is going to be pretty amazing. I can't wait. And uh, it is. It's a cool experience. And I think it's definitely worth it. And it, it puts you as far upwind on your whole week-long charter or 10-day charter that you're going to be. And then at that point, it's basically just a pleasure cruise of downwind sailing from from then on out. And essentially, once you leave there, um, you just have to figure out how many days you have left before you have to pull back into Tortola and give the keys back to the uh, to the boat. And, you know, in in this option, there's there's one sort of legendary island left that everybody wants to go to, and that's Joost van Dyke. And Joost is known mostly for Foxy, who opened Foxy's and uh, Foxy's Taboo and just these really legendary beach bars. I think um, I think Foxy's is still rated as one of the top 10 spots to be at New Year's on our planet. Uh, I don't know who rates that, but supposedly that's that's it. I know it's a huge place and they used to offer to pay us to come down and like shuttle people and sort of do all sorts of weird jobs. I, they were like, we'll pay you like $500 for the night. And all of us were like, no way. Cause it's just such a madhouse. It would be really fun to go down there and be part of it. Uh, but I wouldn't want to have to try and control it. But on a normal day, it's just beautiful. You got great Harbor. And then, uh, you've got, uh, on one side, which has foxies and it kind of has this little village. You can also, uh, as a customs thing and everything like that, but cool little restaurants and shops and, and bars. And then you get onto the other, other side, which is where the soggy dollar is. And this, this little beach area is, is pretty legendary. They've got a little bit of a reef. It's very protected. So North swell doesn't really bother it, but uh, this is where the soggy dollar is, and that got its name because you have to swim in. There's no, 
there's no places to put your dinghy or anything like that. People anchor in there. There are a few mooring buoys. It can be pretty tight and it gets wild because everybody's drinking and, um, you know, you can spend a day down there, but it's, it can be a little tricky and foggy to get out of there. If you know what I mean? Um, at the end of the day. So you always want to make sure somebody's staying pretty well sober because the BVI doesn't really have a whole lot of rules and regulations, which means you have to watch out for yourself. Um, so nobody's going to police you. You have to police yourself and try not to get in trouble. But yeah, the Soggy Dollar, really, really cool. There's a bunch of beach bars there. It's great for people watching because a lot of people come over from St. Thomas or St. John. And I don't know. It's uh, the whole island of Yost is sort of I think a lot of people use it for the last big hurrah before heading back uh, to normal life. And so it's a great way to sort of cap things off. And if you have an extra day after Yoast, it can be pretty nice to just go in and pull into Soper's Hole, um, which is on the very end of Tortola. And that can allow you sort of a a nice quieter evening with all the amenities um and everything because if you are let's say for instance you're planning your final day you bring the boat back at like 10 in the morning but you're flying out that day at five in the afternoon so that's not going to give you a whole lot of time to get everything you need done done if you have that extra day and you go stay in Soper's Hole, people can sort of pack, they can do whatever laundry, they can they can sort of get ready, and then you can have a nice nice meal, nice night. It's a beautiful little place, tiny little village right on the end um, of the island, and then the next day you can just pretty much ready to hop off the boat, set sail at your leisure. You got to beat up wind a little bit, and you get back to either Nanny Key or Roadtown and uh, turn the boat over, and boom, you're out of there. Taxi ride to Beef Island Airport and uh, and good to go. And the cool part about Beef Island too, if if it's one of those things where you have to turn the boat in and then you've got like five or six hours, you could go explore Tortola or you can just go right up to Trellis Bay, which is next to the airport. It's walking distance as in like five minutes, if that, three minutes probably more. Uh, but you've got a beautiful beach there. There's a couple of little bars and shops, and uh, it's a neat little neat little spot to be able to sort of just hang out, enjoy the beach life, enjoy sort of the BVI without having to go sit at the airport for three hours, which unless you really like watching chickens run around, it's not all that fun. Um, but that essentially is some of some of the spots and I know that's uh, quite a list it probably be behoove anybody that's like listening to this and wants to you know is really trying to actually go down there and stuff uh, you may want to grab a uh, a chart of the BVI like or at least a map or something like that and then sort of as as I'm talking sort of go through and you can sort of see where where stuff is and how far it is and all that but essentially, again, I think the BVI is, is fantastic because you're using all line of sight. Um, obviously, all these boats have GPS and all the latest sort of equipment. But in the end, really, it's, uh, it's all line of sight. You can see Virgin Gorda from Tortola. The only one you can't see is Anagata. So that's the only time you really need to use your compass. Um, but it affords just this beautiful protected area and Drake's Passage 
uh, is essentially, you know, you have Tortola and these islands, and then you have all the little islands, so it forms this corridor. And it really, I think, helps not only with cutting down the size of the waves, which still can get pretty furious down there. Um, it just makes for this little sailing arena. You feel protected, you know, on some of the islands further south. Uh, you you know, you're sailing from, from cove to cove on the same island. And if the weather gets really bad... And you're not on the, and you're on the windward side or something. It can get pretty incredible. The BVI seems to be able to cut that out by having this explosion of little islands and everything. So it's a really, really cool one. Um, a few of the top tips, like I always say, would be one, making sure every single day uh, you're checking the weather. Uh, and I think honestly, as the the skipper of one of these, you want to be doing that twice. You want to do it once in the evening. So that you know what's going on, and then once in the morning, so that you know what's uh, what the latest update is. You can do that right on your VHF, or you know they they might they probably get cell phone signal all around the place now, so you can just constantly sort of be aware of it because you never know a little low pressure system or a tropical wave or something can come in, and uh, you can plan accordingly if you know that it's coming. The other thing is always keep your eye on the sky. Because those squalls roll in, usually they're pretty quick, short-lived things. But if they catch you off guard, you know, if you're if if you're about to go head off, go snorkeling for an hour, just just look around at the sky because you uh, you would never want to uh, have a 40 knot squall roll in when you're anchored in a not so great spot and you're snorkeling and you're watching your boat sort of drift away. The other the other top tip, obviously, is make sure, you know, things, pretty basic stuff, but things like sunscreen, um, you know, I've ne I've seen plenty of vacations get ruined, or at least a day or two of them get ruined when people just don't put sunscreen on. They get absolutely cooked to the point where they can't be outside, and nowadays they make, you'll, you'll see them, those long-sleeve UV protected shirts. Those are absolutely phenomenal. Um, don't worry too much about <clears throat> I was going to say, don't worry too much about bringing snorkel gear and stuff. You can purchase it down there. Uh, but if you've got your favorite stuff, hey, bring it down there. Um, I'm thinking in terms, again, of like working at a resort where we offer it. So uh, you may want to bring it if you're going on a boat. Um, other than that, really, you know, you won't be doing anything, any sort of night sailing. You will be night dingying. So having a couple of headlamps, you may want to bring some of those down with you. Um, but everything else you can buy there, it's all you really need. Um, I can't really think too much, uh, else about, uh, oh, I guess if you are pulling into any docks and things like that along the way, like Leverick Bay or Spanish town, you know, uh, when you call these places on the radio, never, never fear asking them to meet you down there. Cause a lot of times they, uh, they don't. And, like they just won't unless you actually ask them. And it, it always helps. I've always found, because obviously I'm a solo sailor, to ask for help. And uh, and I typically get it threefold of what I want. And then also I'm, uh, you know, now all of a sudden I know a person and can ask some people questions and local knowledge and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's always, always a good thing. So other than that, for anybody that's, you know, taking on the role of the captain and stuff, make sure you're you're really not trying to do everything yourself. 
get your crew involved because they want to be part of the adventure and you'd be surprised how much sailing knowledge they can pick up within just a few days uh, of being in the BVI on a charter boat and all of a sudden you might be inspiring them to be a captain as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much my uh, my spiel on the old BVI, which I consider to be one of the best sailing grounds for chartering on our planet, and it really is just a fantastic place. I guess it would behoove me to sort of say the timeline here. Um, typically, in my experience, when you're down there, November and December are going to be sort of uh, a little bit windy, a little bit rainy. Uh, part of the season. Christmas is just bananas. Well, as far as wind goes, um, and then it's it's sort of January, February, March. Things are pretty much typical trade winds blowing 15 to 20 knots, pretty much out of the east, day and night. It's awesome. So if you're a real sailing enthusiast, that's the time to get there. Once you get into April and May, the winds start to come a little more out of the south. It gets a little warmer. Um, but you're going to have less wind, so you're going to have probably better snorkeling, scuba diving stuff. Um, but less wind in the BVI means, you know, it's blown 10 or 12 knots. Um, you don't really get into the dog days of like very light winds until you get into pretty much like August <clears throat> and September. And you might say, well, that's during the peak of the, the hurricane season. Well, you still can charter. They have boats available. It's just that you're sort of rolling the dice because uh, if you get a big system that comes in there, they're either going to tell you you can't go or, um, you know, you might have to postpone the trip for a couple of days or something like that. Or, heavens forbid, you're out there and now you're in the North Sound and a system develops and uh, they can't get to you fast enough. No, they'll they'll always get to you um, if a hurricane comes in. So don't worry about that. But timing wise, as far as weather goes, yeah, it's typically... It's windier in the winter, and uh, it's a little bit less windy, better for snorkeling in the spring and summer. Um, and as far as the crowds go, for us, it was always Christmas was the absolute craziest. Thanksgiving gets pretty busy down there. January and February were quiet outside of President's Week, and then essentially the the next busy times christmas in july is when all the puerto ricans come in their boats so that's pretty fun um but yeah it's uh it's a big enough place all of march march is sort of like the marathon as far as busyness because of the spring breaks that go on all over the place and uh, so it can be decently busy for that entire month so you do have to kind of watch out for that um but you might be looking for that as well you know the bvi can become a party party spot or it can be a nice place to find solitude and snorkeling and quiet sunsets as well so there's you know it all depends uh, but there's enough room down there to sort of house everybody no matter what time of year it is Maybe outside of Christmas. Christmas is just bananas. I I must admit that one. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, my spiel on the old BVI. So hopefully you guys enjoyed all that. And um, yeah, that's that's about it from today. Time to get back into work. I uh, took the boom off of the boat, took the mainsail off, uh, got the propeller off of Mighty Sparrow, which is pretty cool. Uh, I did not know if that was going to be easy. So next up is 
probably pulling the shaft out and inspecting the packing and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot going into, uh, into these, these next couple of weeks. And I think next week we're going to be taking the mast off and, uh, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, but other than that, uh, hopefully everybody has a good weekend and, uh, we got, uh, more stuff coming this week. It'll be interesting. Um, just getting back into the swing of things here at the boatyard, but having a lot of fun doing it and looking forward to tomorrow, getting back to that work, uh, hauling more boats. I know we're going to get crazy busy here in a couple of weeks. So this is the calm before the storm. Uh, so essentially I'm trying to get as much done on Sparrow as possible. And that's, uh, that's about it. So thanks everybody for watching and listening and, uh, until next time.